Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. He was saved based upon the promises of God of Christ Jesus. We're saved upon the realization of the promises of God on the cross. He looked to the cross, we looked from the cross. But he was saved just like we just like we are. That means everything he had, his righteousness, his faith, his repentance, it all comes from God. And he raised his children according to godliness and lived so that everyone around him would know one thing, he worships Yahweh. That's how he lived his life. He lived his life for the glory of God and everybody knew it. And he prayed for his children. He lived honestly. He lived righteously. And God blessed him in a great, amazing way. Job lived around the time of Abraham. They were contemporaries. And this means that this event happened very early in human history. And at that time, wealth was measured uh, by property, how much you owned. And Job was very, very, very rich. Even the text says he was the greatest of all the sons of the East. Now, I don't think that just means his wealth. I think that means he was great in it as a counselor. And we see this in the book. He was generous with his time, with his money, with, with his energy. He was a counselor to many. He practically helped many people. That probably means he was an elder of his city, maybe a governor of the region. But he was rich, he was well-known, and everybody knew that he loved and served Yahweh. That's why this event was very influential. It was well-known well among everybody in the world at that time, what happened to Job, because it was so dramatic. And that is very important to this book, because God chose Job and prepared him for this event, and this is the lesson we need to learn today, because he has saved you and prepared you for the events of your life for his glory. But the key to everything is what I've already said, and I want to stress this, because you can't understand this book if you don't understand what I'm saying now. God gave Job everything. Everything comes from his hand, both spiritual and material. This means that his righteousness, his salvation, and everything he has comes from God for God's glory. You are not righteous in yourself. I am not righteous in myself. We are righteous in God and in Christ Jesus alone. If we only have a righteousness from our good works, we're not saved. We're just good people. But if our righteousness comes from God and supernaturally we live different than the world around us, then the world can see the glory of God in us. So now we're going to keep going. Job 1.6. Now it was the day that the sons of God came to stand before Yahweh, and Satan also come, came among them. Now Satan, of course, is the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies. Peter says he is our adversary who, seek, who walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Today, today, and in the time of Job, Satan has full access to the throne of God. And he goes to accuse us. You, me, us. Another important thing about the book of Job. Every accusation against you, every accusation against me, Every accusation against Job is ultimately and only an accusation against God. Ultimately, he is accusing God. Because we have to ask, who's on trial in the book of Job? Is it Satan? No, he's not on trial. Is it Job? No, he's not on trial. God and his perfect salvation that he gives to sinners is on trial. 
Is God a liar? Is his righteousness eternal? Can it endure the worst of tragedies and the most horrible uh, circumstances possible? Because Satan is accusing God. He says it's all a facade. It's smoke and mirrors. You're a liar. Your salvation is a fraud. And the only reason that Job serves you is because you give him everything he wants. Sure, any kid is good when you buy him the candy he wants in the market. But you take the candy away, let's see what kind of kid he is. That's what Satan is telling God. He says, you are a liar. This is really dramatic. And, but the, you know what I love about God in, in Scripture? He loves a competition because <laughs> God can't lose. So he says, all right, game on. We're going to see what's going to happen here. So what's really cool, really cool, it doesn't look cool in your life. It doesn't cool, look cool in my life. It looks cool when we read this book. God says, hey, how about Job? <laughs> we don't like it when he says, hey, how about Brent? <laughs> we don't like that. But in this book, it's cool. But don't forget, this is a real man. He's our brother. He's our brother in Christ. This happened to Job. So God gives Job to Satan to prove the value of his righteousness, the glory of his righteousness. So let's look at verse 7. And Yahweh said to Satan, from where do you come? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, well, I'm from roaming about on the earth, walking around it. Then Yahweh said to Satan, Satan did not say it to God, Yahweh said to Satan, have you set, have you set your heart upon my servant Job? For there's no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. What God is saying, have you seen Job? I gave him all that. You see that? I gave him that. He chose Job as an example, a proof of his glory, an example of the majesty of God. And Yahweh tells Satan, you want to you try me out? You want to see how good I am? Look at Job. He's the proof. And now we see the accusation. Verse 9, and Satan answered Yahweh and said, does Job fear God without cause? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But send forth your hand now. Touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Satan is happy. I can't believe it. God fell into my trap. Job is the perfect example of everything I'm saying. God's whole salvation is a fraud. He's just nice to people, so they'll be nice to him. This is going to fall on his face. because He says, no, no, no. He's only good because you're kind to him. Stop doing it because it's all an act and we're all going to see it. And God says, you don't understand something, Satan. I gave him that righteousness. Satan says, okay, all right, let's see the test. Take everything from Job and we're going to see the value of your glory, the value of your salvation. In verse 12, then Yahweh said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only do not send forth your hand toward him. So he says, take everything he has, but don't touch him. And we see the tragedy. Now, I know we're, we're working through this sermon, but I want us just to pause because what we're about to read happened. Happened to a man who was living his life, doing the best he could, living in the righteousness that wasn't his, and all of a sudden this happened. Now, it happened that on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their brother, the firstborn, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabians fell upon them and took them. They also struck down the young men with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep 
and the young men and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans set up three companies and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the young men with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While this one was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in the house of their brother, their firstborn. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and touched the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Just a few moments, Job lost everything. All he had was four servants, that was it. The ones who told him the terrible news. He lost his wealth, and since everybody, if you read the book of Job, since everybody knew that Yahweh gave Job everything he had, if he takes it away, this is judgment, and Job is worthless, and his God has abandoned him, and so he lost his reputation, he lost his position in the region, he lost everything he had. But worst of all, the thing that is unimaginable, that would destroy any person, he lost all his children in a moment. How is it possible? And everybody knew this came from the hand of God. What is God doing? And this is the test. We get the vantage point of heaven. Job did not have that vantage point. He did not know why he lost everything in a moment. It was so supernatural that he knew that God did that. Now, you want a test of righteousness? Job knew that came from God. And he knew that God killed his children that God took his wealth, that God took everything. How would you respond? What's your answer? I'd never hope, I hope nobody in this room would ever experience this tragedy, but we've all experienced tragedies. That's the test. God and his righteousness are on trial. We gotta pause because the drama is palpable. It's intense. Satan, the angels, the demons, are all going to know if God is a liar, if his righteousness is effective, eternal, powerful, if it is real. And we see the proof in verse 20, the affirmation, the confirmation. Job, a weak man like us who lost it all and knew that God did it. Verse 20, then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. Yahweh gave, Yahweh has taken away. Blessed be the name of Yahweh. Man, oh man, who won? <laughs> who won? Okay, I, when I say who won, Job is on earth with nothing. God in heaven is glorified. Cannot forget this picture, it's so dramatic. Job, nothing, lost everything. God is glorified. Man. That's a view of salvation that we have to understand. This is the glory of God in the life of all believers. He always wins. All glory belongs to him. Job's steadfastness in this horrible, horrible thing was guaranteed because God would not share his glory with others. A believer may stumble. He will never fall away from God. God's perfect and eternal salvation will protect and preserve the believer from apostasy. 
God does this through the imputation of his righteousness into the life of the sinner. This is why justification guarantees sanctification. Justification guarantees glorification. And not only that, troubles, trials, difficulties are given by the hand of a good, loving God to strengthen the faith of God's children. And frankly, that is genius. It can't come from a man. It is so counterintuitive. Job's faith is stronger and firmer because of the loss. Man, spiritual growth and all the glory belongs to God because God guarantees it. But Satan doesn't raise up his hands. He doesn't quit, man. The guy is relentless. Round two, man. Chapter two, verse one. Again, it was the day that the sons of men, the sons of God came to stand before Yahweh and Satan also came among them to stand before himself before Yahweh. And Yahweh said to Satan, God is doing the talking here. He's sovereign. Where do you come from? Satan answered and Yahweh said, Yahweh and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. Yahweh said to Satan, have you set your heart upon my servant Job? He's rubbing it in. Did you see my glory? For there's no one like it like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity. So you incited me against him to swallow him up in vain. You wanted to do that to Job because he's, he holds his integrity with, with, towards me. And Satan answered Yahweh and said, I, skin for skin. Yeah, all that a man has, he will give for his uh, um, life. However, send forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you in your face. So Yahweh said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. Don't kill him. Because God is sovereign. Then Satan went out from the presence of Yahweh and struck Job with terrible boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? She couldn't believe the righteousness of God in Job. She could not believe it. But her reaction was wrong. Curse God and die. I think she felt sorry for Job. This is your God? It's your faith, trials. How many times do we want to look at others or look at ourselves and say, this is it, this is my salvation? Broken marriage, lost job, death of a loved one, financial ruin, this is my God, I should just curse him and die. He had an excellent wife, didn't he? Some say that, some say that um, Satan didn't ever do anything to her because he had plans for her a little bit later. He is all alone. He's sitting in ashes. He's lost everything. Everybody knows he is under the judgment of God. He can't understand what's going on. He's covered in wounds. His only comfort is to scrape the oozing wounds with a broken piece of ceramic tile. And the icing on the cake, his wife says he's a fool. To put it mildly, this is a difficult situation. It's another test. How many tests do you have in your life? Well, they start the day you're saved and they end the day you die. You're either at the beginning of a trial, the middle of a trial, or the end of a trial. It's the only places we have in our lives. Who's right, God or Satan? Is God's righteousness in Job successful, powerful, enduring, in the worst imaginable situation? Verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the wickedly foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept calamity? In all this, 
Job did not sin with his lips. God wins. God's glorified. Job's perseverance in tragedy is guaranteed because God is zealous for his glory. Job is not a good man. God is good to in him. Job is not powerful. God is powerful in him. Job is not the hero. God is always and only the hero and he never shares his glory. This book is not about Job. It's about God. God is always the hero. Every event of your life, every situation, all glory belongs to him alone. That's the way it works. Salvation is for his glory, not for yours. Stop seeking your glory. Start seeking his glory in every situation. Stop complaining. Stop feeling sorry for yourself, bathing in the pool of your self-pity. Put your eyes on Christ and understand that the worst trial of your life is to make you like Christ. And bring glory to him. What's the end of this event? We're not going to go through the whole book of Job, so don't worry. He grew spiritually. After suffering and experiencing tribulation trials, Job grew in his understanding of God. And because of this, he enjoyed communion with God more deeply than ever. That's the blessings of obedience and the faithfulness in trials. God's salvation is on trial in your life. And he will glorify himself. Spiritual growth is embedded, it's inherent into the righteousness that God, righteousness that God gives us. It's activated in trials, in difficult situations, in trouble, persecution. Because in those moments, the believer who has received new life from God believes, firmly believes that he belongs to God. Not that God is against him, that God is for him. And because the Holy Spirit is actively at work in us to energize us, empower us, strengthen us, change us. If you've received a new life from God, you will trust him. Not perfectly, you'll fall, but you'll not fall away. You'll stumble in sin, but you're not going to forsake him because he'll never forsake you. And the more this happens, the more trouble you see, the more you're going to be transformed, transformed into the image of Christ Jesus. That's the good news. Romans 8, 28, we love to quote it. <laughs> we think in creation right now. Somebody quote it to me. For the good of those, yes, who, who love Christ Jesus, right? Man, um, that good doesn't always look like good, right? <laughs> it can be the death of a spouse, loss of a job, but it's for your good. Okay. You ready for the application, the practice? We're going to go a little faster. Sorry. Man. Okay, we're fine. Uh, the practice. We've seen the proof, now the practice. We've seen the affirmation, now the application. In the New Testament, we see that like Job, you and I, every believer, is called by God to share in the sufferings of Christ, to experience difficulties, ostracization, loss, trials, pain, and God's purpose in that is for us to grow. I'm just going to read these passages. You're going to write them down. Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by, justified by faith, that's the beginning of salvation, we have peace with God. Why is he saying that? Because our lives are not going to look, not going to look like we have peace with God. It's going to look like God's against us. But he says that peace doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from an internal 
activity of the Holy Spirit through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. We don't stand in ourselves. It's the grace of God for his glory. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also boast in the glory of God in Okay, I want to slow down. But we also boast an inherently, uh, in, implicitly in that passage is the re- repetition of the, what we saw in verse 2. We boast in the hope of the glory of God in our afflictions, knowing that affliction brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. And hope does not put to shame because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. God uses adversity to mold us, to shape us into the image of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. When we are weak, then we are strong. When we are broken in trials, then we depend only upon God and his word. When we receive that which we didn't ask for, that which we would never want, then we learn to live by faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. God uses these situations to give us grace, power and growth. It's spiritual growth for his glory. And God does this. James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it the highest all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Trials are sent by God. Knowing that the testing of your faith brings about perseverance and let perseverance have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, basically mature, mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Maturity, long-suffering, joy, blamelessness, spiritual success come from when we experience difficulties. First Peter 1, 6 through 9, in this you greatly rejoice. You're not happy, you're joyful. Even though now for a little while, it says if necessary, but it means since it's necessary. You have been grieved by various trials. These are hard things. These are difficult things. So that the proof, was that Job? The proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not, do not see him now, but believe in him, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's Job. And that's your life. God knows that you're faithful. He knows that you're saved, that you belong to him, but he wants you to know that. He sends fire into your life so that you look and say, all I have is Christ. All I have. Trials so we can see the power and the value and the reality of our faith that comes from God, that we see that it's better than the houses or the cars or the cell phones or whatever it is we want in this life. God is the hero and he wants us to know he is the hero. He wants us to see the value of Christ, the value of salvation. He wants us to find comfort in in our suffering by knowing who Christ is. This is why you have this soap thing going on. (laughs) Soap thing, I don't know. God's built-in power in righteousness and faith is activated in suffering. I drive a turbo diesel. So you're driving this little, everybody in Europe drives turbo diesels. So you're driving along and boom, you hear this power because there's something built into that motor and it's called a turbo. 
and you got all this power. You got power built into this righteousness. And that turbo is the ability to go through trials without falling away from God so that he is glorified. What can break, okay, listen to this. What can break and destroy others will strengthen and build faith and maturity in your life. What, can, what will destroy every person in this world will give you growth so that you can be like Job in difficult situations. God's glory and salvation is when the sinner becomes holy, when the sinner becomes closer and closer and closer to who he is in Christ Jesus. God is more and more and more glorified. We have to be weaned from this evil debauched world. We have to renew our minds and not think like this stupid world thinks, but like our Savior thinks so that we can become like him. And that's only going to happen when the fires from heaven come into your life so that you depend upon him. When a believer obeys God by faith in God's grace, the Holy Spirit enables, strengthens, and empowers. So this is not passivity. I'm just going to let go like God and it's all going to work out. Passivity brings laziness and false faith, okay? There's no such thing as a lazy Christian, just so you know. All Christians are active. You take the step of faith, and that turbo kicks in. The Holy Spirit empowers, strengthens, and there's a synergy in your life. Now, your contribution to that synergy is about like that. God's contribution to that synergy, the universe can't contain. And then you're flying, and God is glorified. Active obedience begins when the believer lives by faith. You know what it is? If you believe this sermon, you go home, say, well, I'm just going to believe what the word of God says. That's it. Actively obey. Read. You know what? Tuesday morning, Tuesday evening, you're not going to want to read your Bible. I mean, there's four things you got to do. Scripture, obedience, application, prayer. Four things. Well, let's just eat some nachos and go to bed. <laughs> Believe what, this, what I'm saying today, because this is not from me. This is from God. Believe it on Tuesday morning and actively obey. And the Spirit will energize you. And then when you go to work and your boss yells at you, your wife's frustrated with you, you want to kick the dog, <laughs> you trust in Christ. You believe what's true. And you actively obey him. And he energizes you. Because he will not fail. And his glory will be seen in your life. You don't obey him, people don't get to see the glory. You got to obey him by faith. And then they see the glory. Where am I at? What I want to say in my life, what I hope you want to say, is what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is that spiritual schizophrenia that we all want. I live, I, no, I don't live, Christ lives, but I live, Christ lives. I don't know. We're so one and we're so entwined with Christ. We don't know where our life begins and where it ends and where Christ's life in us begins or ends because it's one. And the synergy carries us through so for the glory of God. We want to live like that. If you are saved, if you have living trust in Christ, if you have new life in Jesus Christ, then you are called by God to share in Christ's sufferings today so that someday for all eternity we are going to share in his glory. He's going to give you his throne 
He's calling you to share in his sufferings today. 1 Peter 4.13, but to the degree you are sharing the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of what? His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. All right, two comforts. Proof and practice. Application, I mean, affirmation, application. It ends here. Do you know this God? Do you know this Christ? I'm not asking you if you know about him. What is Matthew 11, 37, 38, 27, 28, 37, 38? Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and learn of me. Not learn about me. Learn of me. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you wake up longing for his glory? Do you go to bed praying for glory tomorrow? Do you pray for strength through persecutions and trials and all the problems of this world? Do you live? What is that? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether we eat or drink, we do all for the glory of God. Is that your passion of your life? If you don't have that passion, then you don't have the comfort that I'm talking about. You need Christ. You can have comfort, security, and joy, and peace in every situation, not just for your peace and joy, but for his glory. And you'll have this for all eternity. But you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross because of your sin. That he took your penalty. He took your wrath. He endured in three hours your eternal hell. So that he can give you his life and his righteousness and his heaven. Your death for his life. Your sin for his righteousness. The great exchange. Have you made that by faith? Have you trusted Christ? Have you begged him for righteousness? Are you sorry for your sins? Have you begged him for forgiveness? Do you live in the spirit of God? Is the word of God your hope, your wisdom, your strength? Is this your life? If it is, I've got the comfort for you. God wins and he will guarantee your growth because his glory demands it. If not, come to Christ today. You have to believe in him. It starts here. Do you have Christ? You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.